1: Brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl
0: Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast. Stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Catherine Devaney, welcome to Better Reading. I'm just
2: thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me and hello everybody.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to our conversation. We have a lot in common. Let me introduce you. Catherine is a writer, or that we don't have in common, comedian and speaker from Melbourne. She has written 10 books, including Mental, Use Your Words and The Happiest Show. She is a regular columnist for The Age, has appeared at the Melbourne Comedy Festival and has been a panellist on Q&A amongst many other television programs. Catherine is also founder and creator of Gunner's Writing Masterclass. Her latest book, True North, is a heartfelt memoir about life's upheaval and living authentically. Uh, Wow, it's a punch in your gut kind of book. Yeah, it's funny the way that they have um,
2: done the blurb because I actually wouldn't describe it like that at all. I think it's a book about class and I think it's a book about the fact that we need to normalise splitting up with things and some things we have normalised splitting up with more than others. So, you know, your occupation, your relationship, the kind of clothes you wear, the kind of foods you eat, the kind of music you listen to, the kind of beliefs you have, whether it's religion or private health or karma or whatever it is, I think that that's kind of
0: what it's about. But it's, uh, it's interesting. So off we go. Off we go. Okay, so I want to, I want to go back to how you came to writing to start with. Um, tell me where you grew up, how you became a journalist, and then touch on your first book, Mental. You know, so what's I'm not the trajectory.
2: I'm, I'm not a journalist, and I've never been a journalist. And it's a very common thing for people to get uh, wrong, because I've written over a thousand columns for The Age, and I haven't written anything for them for at least ten years. People assume that I'm a journalist, but they don't really know what a journalist is, or they don't really know what my writing is. So a journalist is somebody who goes into a space and uh, tells that story with no fear or favour, drops their preconceptions at the door, and that's what and that's what a journalist does. That's what a journalist is supposed to do: just go in and tell the story in its most truthful form, without any presumptions bias. and no bias whatsoever. I'm yep. not a journalist. I'm a, I'm a writer. So I grew up in Resville, which is uh, at the time was like living in the ghetto. Um, there's a lot of demographic change out there now, so much so that it's called Lesivore. There's a lot of um, people settli- settling out there and apparently a huge amount of lesbians, which I'm thrilled about when we grew up there, it was awful and depressing and horrible and oppressive. And my mum would say, you watch one day, uh, the yuppies will be out here doing up the commission houses, which is what they are doing. So I grew up in a very dysfunctional um, uh, uh, family. Uh, My mother was uh, depressive. My father was an alcoholic. We were all just shoved into this, you know, commission house. And it There was never enough anything, not enough space, not enough time, not enough money, not enough patience, not enough love, nothing. So, uh, yeah, that's where I grew up and I didn't set out to be a writer but I always wrote and people would see me, you know, writing in my diary or whatever, and they'd say to me, you're never going to be a writer because you can't spell, to which I'd respond, but I don't want to be a speller. I want to be a writer.
0: Let me just interrupt you there. Were you writing about your life experiences or were you just writing fiction? What kind of things were you oh, writing no, about? That, oh, that, I was just writing about my life
2: experience. I was journaling. I was journaling. Mm-hmm. I had diaries and I wrote letters. Mm-hmm. So zero fiction. To whom? Uh, pen pals. Oh, it, okay, to other possible. people. yeah. 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 Um, My grandparents, anyone I could, I'd write letters to. I loved writing letters and writing letters was my favourite thing and I wanted to know about what people were up to and I wanted to kind of put my own experiences into words. And so, yeah, diaries and letters all the time. So I was um, identified dyslexic when I was probably about 38, I think, when my son was about 10, I think. He was um, identified dyslexic and when we went through the process they said, is there anybody in your family who has learning um, disabilities? And I said, well, look, if Dominic's got something, I've got the same thing because I could totally understand how his brain worked. So I. How was dis- did you know that you weren't just like? Well, I, 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 explain that to me further. Because I didn't know what it was like to be anybody else. Dyslexia wasn't something. Dyslexia was like now, autism, dyslexia, ADHD, OCD gluten intolerance, peanut allergy, all those things are totally normal. Back then, I actually vividly remember at one stage my mum took me to an optometrist. I think I was about 10 because of how I was reading. And I remember my mum said, oh, what rubbish, Catherine, but I vividly remember them saying to her, you might want to get her assessed for dyslexia. Oh, Uh, right, okay. She she might be dyslexic. And I remember my mum saying, what rot, she can read what a ridiculous thing to say. I remember her saying to me in the car that home because we just didn't really understand. We thought that, you know, dyslexia was not being able to read or not being able to write. So I just, I remember sometimes saying maybe I'm dyslexic or something, but, you know, I was writing all of the time. I managed to pass year 12. I was incredibly verbally able and, you know, I had I was able to explain concepts back. My spelling was terrible, but it was just you're a terrible speller and as typical for the time, it was, well, she's not trying hard enough. You know, if she tried harder, she would know her times tables. You've just got to learn them. You've just got to go over them over and over again and you've just got to go over the spelling over and over again. She's lazy and she's not trying hard enough and it's just, I'm 53 now. I still don't know my left and my right. I still can't spell And I still don't know my times tables. So people think that everything is an effort game and that is coming from the place of being neurotypical. And the world is set up by and for neurotypical extroverts. And I'm an extrovert but I'm not neurotypical. So one of the things with dyslexics is that they're very, very good problem solvers. So I was always able to muddle my way through and find my way, but it wasn't in a conventional way. I remember when I was in grade prep, we were learning about the word, the letter T, and so our teacher had said, you know, I want you to write the word T like a cup of tea with pencil and then I want you to go over it with glue and then I want you to sprinkle the tea leaves over it so you would have a piece of paper with the word tea written with tea leaves. And I just remember just putting my um, hand <laughs> in the glue pot and pulling out the brush and just writing tea, tea, with the glue and just pouring all the tea leaves on and then just tipping the rest back, you know, just shaking it and tipping the rest and going, done. And she was a really great teacher and she was very patient, but she was very annoyed with me. I mean, I saw what the – I didn't follow the instructions. I just went, oh, this is what you want. You want like a piece of paper with – and so that's the way that I've always run my life. So I just thought, I don't know. I mean, like most people in the 70s, I was just brought up like an unwanted pet. So Mm. I just muddled through and just – got there the best way I could and didn't for one second think, because there wasn't a place of, you know, it's either you were retarded or you were slow or you were spastic. And these were the words they used back then. Oh, I remember. I and remember the there was no yes. place, there was no place, and it was always considered a bad thing and a really um, acute a, a thing. And it's just like exactly my mum going, well, she can't be dyslexic. She can read. I don't, they don't know what
0: they're talking about. Were you a good reader? Did you like reading?
2: Uh, I'm thinking about that question. I liked it. I preferred to write and make things than read. And yeah. also the things that I preferred to read are the same things. Like I don't. I'm not a fan of fiction. And people no. talk about, all these beautiful children's books and beautiful children's movies and, you know, sitting down and watching Toy Story with your kids. I hated children's literature and uh, television and movies and entertainment generally and I hate it now. I think it's really, it's patronising. What I was interested in was cookbooks and, you know, I was reading
0: biographies when I was seven or eight. You know, one's like are the only person I have met in this job, and I've been doing this for a long time, that says that they were reading cookbooks because that's what I do, and people think I'm a weirdo.
2: No, they just I was <laughs> I re- love them. I was we re- I was never interested in fiction. I, I did read, you know, I read yeah. and stuff because that was all that was around. Mm. I was far more interested in. Non-fiction in any way, shape,
0: or form, even if it's a recipe. <laughs>
2: I tell you what, I read a lot of was magazines. Yes. So I would go to my grandparents' place, and I would sit in the back room reading the new ideas, the women's weeklies, and that's what I really loved to read:
0: non-fiction. Mm. And I did, yeah. Mm. Oh, I still enjoy it. I mean, cookbooks are my favourite. Okay, so you finished school. Yeah. And then where did, what did you do? I went to,
2: I took a year off and I worked in a horrible shop in the city, a Manchester shop in the city. And then I went to university and I, I went to La Trobe University and I did an arts degree and I majored in cinema studies and drama. Right. So I have an arts degree. That's my tertiary right. qualification. And how did that then lead you to writing? It didn't. It had nothing to do with it. I've all, I always wrote and continued
0: to write, and yeah, made didn't do anything. It was just mm. something to do for three years. And you de- never did anything in the arts in terms of film and television?
2: Oh yeah, I, I worked um I wrote for television for years, and years and years. I got my first job writing in television when I was twenty four oh, and okay. was I wrote for television. Well, I wrote for television, I was writing jokes um, and sketches and stuff. And then I moved more into columns. But it always it was a combination of stand-up, speaking, uh, writing for television. You know, I wrote uh, my first young adult book when I was 27, 28. So it was just always I'm a bit kind of an arts tradie, a yeah, words yeah. tradie yeah stand-up and writing for this and that and whatevers.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the book is called True North and... I always think people like you are very brave <laughs> to share a story like that with, with readers.
2: Why do you say that, it, use the word brave? Because you haven't held back, I don't think. It's, it's interesting. Like brave suggests that it was
0: an effort or
2: that there is some shame involved.
0: Yeah. It's not, I don't, I don't think it's shame. I didn't feel that when I was reading it. I felt like, wow, that's so honest. Why is honesty brave then? I mean, um, yeah, I'm, no, no,
2: good questions. Okay, I'm thinking. So I'm yeah, just yeah. Like, what, you know, people. I don't know. Me,
0: how is truth brave? But it kind of is. I don't think sometimes people, it's warts and all. And that's, I think, a hard, is it hard to write to start no, with? No, yeah, I suppose my, my answer would be, yeah.
2: it's easy to be honest. So no bravery is required. right. If you you talk about, so can we go back to honesty? Yeah. Well, why is it brave to be honest or what is the fear that you would need bravery for in order to be honest? That's over to you.
0: Yes, and I'm thinking about that because, you know, no one's asked me that before. So for me, I don't know if I'm prepared to share those feelings with the world or with my family at the moment or maybe with my friends. What would the fear be? That they would judge me. As what? I
2: don't know. I don't know. And if they did judge you, what would that be saying about them? Yeah. Like, I mean, who would judge someone for being honest and telling their truth in the way they experienced it? Wouldn't you, you would have someone for doing that, wouldn't you? Oh, well, I mean, I, I thought that after you're reading your book. But exactly. But yeah, so if they don't do that for you, they're not nice people or they're responding in a way. Which is not compassionate or humane. Mm.
0: Mm. You're seeing that you you know, it's a different it's a different way than I look at it, I think.
2: What but this not- reveals is that shutting up mm. is used to control us. Mm. And not telling the truth is used to control us. And the fear of what will happen if you do tell the truth is used to
1: control us. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.
2: This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
0: You're right, Catherine. I was just talking to, prior to speaking with you, I was speaking to Antoinette Latouf, you might know, she's a, um, a young uh, Lebanese-Australian journalist and presenter. And I said to her, because I've got a Lebanese-Australian background and I come from a big family, and we were talking about diversity and picking up racism and whatever. And what happens now in my family, if I pick it up somewhere and I say, seriously, that's, I don't agree with you, that's racist or whatever it is I'm talking about, they say to me, Cheryl, just let it go. Shut it down. You don't have to talk about, not everything has to be right. And I think there is an expectation for us is to keep, hold back, not just me, but a lot of people. And I think a lot of readers would think that of your book. The expectation is to hold back, but they're liking the story and they're appreciating the memoir because of your honesty. Mm. Mm. I get a lot of pressure to shut up.
2: Yeah, but why do you, you probably get pressure to do a whole lot of other things too that you just go, yeah, I'm not doing that. So (laughs) exactly. So there's probably heaps of pressure in your life to look a certain way or be a certain way or to do certain things and you're able to discard. And um,
0: I'm going to tell you a really personal story that I haven't told anyone, but since we're in the realm of memoir and it only happened, my mother died recently. It's been a really tough time. And we had to move, we had to have a funeral really quickly because mm. it was before Easter. Otherwise, we would have had to have waited. Anyway, the church that she belonged to and was her parish doesn't allow eulogies set in the mass. Yeah, that's right. I can see you shaking your head. Well, I could not accept that. I could not accept that, Catherine. And so I decided that the only way I was going to get up there and talk about my mother is to get access to that mic. So I decided to do a reading. And I went up there and I did do the reading and then I stopped and then I talked about my mother. And I thought, no one. But, you know, that it was controversial because people like, Cheryl, what are you doing?
2: Yeah, it's incomprehensible. I mean, religion is used to oppress and control. How do you feel about your mum dying?
0: Oh, I don't know if I'm ready to talk about that, but deeply, deeply sad. I feel unanchored. Wow, that is just for me. That sounds so
2: tough, but so incomprehensible. Because my mum died this time last year, and I have just felt absolutely joyful and over the moon. So that experience sounds really tough. And I'm sorry that you're going through it, but what an amazing love you must have had.
0: Like, that you know, was- I was thinking when you were speaking earlier about your upbringing. We were poor. My parents were immigrants. They, I mean, just imagine it, bringing a I family, know. not having language. Unbelievable. Not, how, unbelievable. How they did
2: that, the bravery, the mm. it, it, the bravery to look to the future like that, but how awful it must have been for them to leave, to leave everything that they knew. The sacrifice. Everything that they love for this new world that they
0: had no idea what it was like. And also this new world that treated them like third-class citizens, Yeah, you know. I mean, Glebe, which is where they came, Glebe back then was tough, you know. It was white. It was tough. But I have the fondest, hard, they're hard memories, but they were fun memories as well. Like we had a really good time. She loved us to pieces, you know. And I guess that's the difference. It's poverty, but it, it was... No,
2: that's, that's it. I mean, poverty doesn't have to be bad. And no, well, isn't necessarily good. We really lucked out because we had the poverty, but we also had the dysfunction. Um, yeah, I think that that's, that sucked mm-hmm. because it was not... You don't have to have both. And I'm, you know, I'm middle class and have... Um, made my own way and I'm financially independent and I always have been. And, you know, I'm sitting in a, in a bedroom, in a five bedroom house that I own a hundred percent on my own outright in my own name.
0: Mm. So you broke the cycle.
2: I broke the cycle on every single level. Mm. Atheist, feminist, financially independent. Absolutely. There's nothing that I didn't break the cycle on. I'm, I'm emotionally off the grid Mm -hmm. and, I'm very proud of that. Mm. But it's not possible for everyone. But I'm in this house that in 100% like belongs to me. Mm. Talking it- about a book that I wrote about my life, like it just doesn't get more independent than
0: that. Oh, and look at the body I- of work. It speaks for itself, right? Yeah. What do you hope for your children?
2: Uh, that, uh, meaning, pleasure and connection. I hope that they... You know, I think that that word resilience is bandied around a lot. What I hope is that they find a way to live the life that they want to in the most authentic and meaningful way so that the challenges that come to them, that they find a way to to come out the other end of them and I want them to be proud of themselves for living an authentic, genuine, choose-your-own-adventure life and that they... They all seem to be. But I kind of don't hope, you asked me that, but I just don't have any hopes for them. I just enjoy them. It's just like they're, having children is a lifestyle choice. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. Like, and also I have always felt very separate to them. I have always treated them as equals and they're just living their lives. I'm a soft place to land. I'm a, you know, advice if they need it. And they are all fiercely independent And for all of their faults, they do not lack authenticity, um, courage, or confident. They're incredibly self-confident. None of them follow the rules of how to be. They, yeah, they're very interesting people and they don't, they're not radical or uh, performative in the way that they go, look, I'm not like anyone else. They just question every single thing, go, that's not for me, that's not for me, that's not for me. None of them have ever barracked for a football team. My eldest son, who, you know, we brought up atheist, has recently been dabbling with religion, with Islam and with Catholicism, and in some ways people would see religion as going, oh, you know, just doing what everyone else has done. But when you're 23 and you've been brought up an atheist and you're doing this on your own, in your own time, just, you know, muddling through, not because someone is saying you should join us. They are authentic.
0: Let me ask you this. So you talk about your background and it's hard and you talk about your parents and that you're happy that your mum isn't around anymore. But look at the person that you've become. And then I wonder sometimes, are we cushioning our kids too much? Like is it that there is always a fallback? position for children that wasn't before and what does that a, a fallback? what do you mean financially or emotionally what are you talking about both I think like I hear of a lot of kids coming back home because there was an argument in the share house or whatever it was you know you wouldn't have had that option would you
2: no no but I don't think that I'm not going to be here to glorify hardship or trauma or abuse. No. I think it should have been like this all the way that, you know, when we grew up, it was like, when are you getting your licence, when are you moving out, when are you going to get a job, you know, when are you getting married, when are you going to have children? Mm-hmm. That conveyor belt was insane. I never did that. I've never married. I had children when I felt like it. I gave them the surname that I wanted to and have never stopped working. So I don't think that... That kids these days have it easy. I think that most of us were brought up in trauma, abuse and dysfunction. And that was not cool. Safety is where love grows. And I think that we have become kinder, not so, you know, you can talk to people about smacking children. Like, I mean, obviously I've never smacked my children because I'm not an asshole. And, you know, you talk to people going, oh, well, you know, my parents smacked me and it didn't do me any harm and that's why I smacked my kids. I'm going, it did do you harm because you think it's quite a right mm-hmm. to hit small children who rely on you to be your carer and protector. Mm-hmm. So it did do you harm. And the fact you can't see it is the biggest harm.
0: Mm-hmm. So... I, yeah, no, no, you're right because I think then maybe it's it, it's going to be a world that is different to the one that we've lived and maybe much better. Good,
2: good. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I often used to look at my mum. So my dad died, I don't even know, many, many years ago. I didn't speak to him for the last 20 years of mm. his life and so he died, which was great, But and, and mum died too. Uh, but I would look at them and people who are in their 70s, 80s, 90s now, and go, they have lived through the most extraordinary time of social, um, emotional, technological changes. It's unbelievable. It's incomprehensible. So regardless of how it might look, because we've got the democratization of information and we can see everything that's going on all of the time, This is the kindest and safest time to be alive. This is the best time to ever be a human ever. And I hope it just gets better and better. I hope that we are, you know, kinder and not valuing people on, you know, how much they work, how hard they work, how young or old they are, how many qualifications they have. People are brought into life to experience pleasure meaning joy and connection regardless of who they are and they don't have to, people shouldn't have to work to get money they shouldn't have to have money to have housing or education or health people who come into this world are citizens of this world and they should just have a, a you know a comfortable and a peaceful way to live their life and if they never work that's fine it that's their life to do do with what they choose and we we you know there's no reason we don't need everyone working we don't need everybody having children we don't need everyone partnering up for long terms we we are there's a, there's this great saying tradition is peer pressure from dead people and i think that a lot of people still feel that it's like we can't just give people money it's like what well, we did during the pandemic
0: mm-hmm, and actually
2: look at the you know universal basic income All it is is positive, whether you are right-wing or left-wing. It's only positive, yet we don't
0: do it. Mm. Catherine, I think I might need to talk to you on a regular basis.
2: (laughs) Well, I do. I actually do. I'm a mental health nerd and in this room I do therapy. People come and pay me for chatting uh, and I love it. I think it's actually the best thing that I do. So, yes, I would be quite happy, but I do charge.
0: Okay. All right. Let's talk about that after the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. I have enjoyed our conversation immensely. Me too. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook
1: or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio.